Sonic State Hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 179. Uh, we are broadcasting live as the uh, the England-UK versus, uh, is it Slovenia? Slovenia? Slovenia match is going on, so I think there's a lot of problems with uh, live streaming video, so I'm really sorry if uh, people aren't getting this stream, but I think the internet is clogged up. But, uh, but if you are, uh, the place to come and see us, because we've now got live stream with multi-camera, all sorts of graphics overlays, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm every Wednesday is where to do it. And uh, we've got chat room and everything, we've been using Ustream, worked fine last week. This week, I think just due to internet traffic, there's going to be a bit of glitches. But we've got... Um, a new guest in the form of Gaz Williams. Hello, Gaz. Hello, hello. Uh, Gaz is a music producer and uh, engineer, musician from uh, Bristol, um, mm-hmm. with a tinge of Welsh. I am Welsh, but I live in Bristol. And uh, we uh, got in touch with him because um, we lent Tara a piece of equipment and Gaz brought it over. That's right. And I work with Tara. We kind of, um, my band is a kind of uh, acting as a backing band for Tara, although we haven't actually played out live yet, but... Uh so, oh, do you, were you involved in the recording of um, Pilfisher Lane? I wasn't, unfortunately. I'd love to. I love that album. But uh, I think um, future stuff we're going to kind of do together. We've had a few rehearsals so far and a couple of uh, sessions. But um, it, it, it's a real nice mutual kind of uh, friendship we've got, really, because uh, I think she saw my band about like about seven or eight years ago before she she was living in Wales for a bit and then they w- went over to America and... Uh, They'd always really liked the band and then kind of got back in touch and uh, we heard her music and thought, wow, this is great. So it's a kind of mutual thing going on. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, MySpace.com forward slash Rocket Gold Star. That's my band. Uh, in fact, if you're watching it on video or you're watching it later on video, I've put a nice little lower third down there so you can see, hopefully, <laughs> even at the microscopic resolution that we're broadcasting <laughs> at. So um, anyway, I'm going to flip back to the other camera. Um, and also, let's have... Um, uh, an introduction to some of our other guests. Um, we've got also Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com. How are you doing, Dave? I'm all right. Thank Good. You. Um, Dave, as if you were listening live last week, you may have noticed that Dave's sound card went, uh, well, blew up mid-show and made a horrible screaming sound, and it was all very exciting. Um, and uh, tell, do tell, what, what, what's the prognosis, Doctor? Uh, it's back up and running. It was just a power supply board in there. I think there were three capacitors that were blown. Uh, and in fact, I just got some advice. Somebody said that they used to connect capacitors to the mains just to blow them up because they made a really satisfying pop. So I might try that either during podcast or probably afterwards. <laughs> Okay. Make sure you're earthed, okay. if you don't mind. I wouldn't hate to be uh, responsible. And uh, there must be, I'll, I'll send you a disclaimer over before you do anything about it. Obviously, <laughs> I don't want any kind of uh, legal retribution for that sort of behaviour. Yeah. And uh, also, we have in the house Mr. Mark Tinley. Ah, you see, that was, I was waiting. I was thinking he's on this, like, Skype lottery of list of names. I wonder <laughs> if he'll pick me, and he did! Yay! Come uh, on now. Welcome, Mark. Um, Hello. AutismHero.com, I believe, is that where people oh, were sending people? Send or likebeing.com, or just mark.ty-wharton.com. That's very long. You've got a lot of, you've got a lot of routes to the, all roads lead to yeah. Mark. I'm going to buy a hundred URLs and point them all to the same website just to confuse people. That's what people do. I think it's called search engine optimization in marketing land, isn't it? Or it spamming. I, in my land, it's called, wow, that's a really good idea for a name for a website. And then it's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I know, I'll just point it at mine. So it's not quite as exciting, but yeah. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Gaz. Gaz, Mark, Mark, Gaz. and uh, hello. hello, Gaz. Hi, Mark. What instrument do you play, Gaz? I- Bass is my main instrument, but I sort of dabble with other things. I've played keyboards in a band for a bit, but I'm not very good. Uh, just, to, just to get by? Yeah, kind of. You see, my, I've got a little Fender Music Master bass there. It's lovely. It is. It's, yeah, it sounds gorgeous. like wool. It's wool, a woolacaster. Wool. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Woolmaster. Um, okay, well, um, let's 
jump into our first topics. Um, obviously, we've got the World Cup football going on. Uh, as I said earlier, I think um, people might be experiencing streaming issues. Uh, there's just so much um, internet traffic. I mean, we seem to be able to upload fine. It's just, unfortunately, that the uh, I think people aren't able to read it fine. But I'm recording the show locally here, and I'm recording on Ustream, so you'll be able to watch this after the fact, uh, hopefully, and everything will be all right. Uh, first of all, I'd like to start off with a cracking... Um, I've called this Cracking Boffin Synth Video, and this came via Dave Spears... I'll just play you a little bit of audio here. This is the tiny studio of David Vorhaus, again, both inventor and composer. Working at his best in the early hours of the morning, Vorhaus is developing his own approach to music. Well, this invention, I call the maniac. It's an analog sequencer, that's what the A stands for. The advantage of analog sequences is that you can actually play the instrument while it's happening and see the music happening in front of you. This way it helps you compose the music because as you experiment, you come up with new ideas, often better than the original. Indeed you do, David. Indeed you do. Uh, that was uh, David Vorhaus um, at his musical studio uh, featuring the Maniac Sequencer. And then a bit later on, I forget what it's called, but the sort of bass thing that he made. And Dave Spears, you sent this in. And uh, it's very much of the mould. Uh, we did something else with Peter Zinoviev, didn't we? It's, it's a, it must have been of the similar series because it had the same kind of woody BBC quality to it. Is this the first? Michael Rod. Was it Michael Rod? As oh, it, ah, News Round. Is that new? Did he do News? No, that's John Screen Craven. Test. Screen, Screen test. test. <laughs> I've got a funny fact about Screen Test. One of the directors of SonicState.com was on Screen Test as a child. (laughs) I don't think he's on YouTube or anything. Neil, you've not met him, I don't think. Ah, okay. Um, So, Dave, how did you come about this? And tell me a bit about your... uh, I don't know much about David Vorhaus, but I I, I looked up a few factoids of him. Uh, I happened across this because I can't remember why I was trawling some YouTube videos and I, fa- and I found this video with a load of EMS stuff and some clips from the show that this was originally came from, that, that it originally came from. And it was for a BBC program in about 78 called the new sound of music. And for some reason, the theme tune, it was really crass, but it stuck in my head because they kind of created this theme tune as they went along. It was very BBC educational kind of thing. Uh, and there was loads of EMS. There was, I mean, a ton of EMS love on it. And I've just remembered this program and I taped it on a cassette back in the day and have been kind of trolling YouTube just to see if it ever kind of, uh, came, you know, was put up there. And I found sections of it. And then uh, the guy who had posted the section said that he had this show on a DVD and that he would send it to anyone who asked. So I asked him and he sent it over and I went, wow. (laughs) So 30 odd years later, I finally get to see it again. And it was Uh, brilliant. It does look really cool. I mean, he... He was way ahead of his... I mean, that Maniac sequencer, I was looking at that, and there was at one point he talks about it being um, digitally quantized, which quantized pitch sequences are quite new, aren't they, now these days? I mean, you don't... Analog sequences... I mean, one of the big problems is you've got a series of knobs that you sort of roughly get the pitch right, and then you have to tune each one. But it sounds like the, the Maniac that he had there was digitally controlled, so it was quantized to semitone pitches by the sound of it. That's what he was saying. I think that's right. Yeah, it could be. I didn't really spend too much time. I was really fascinated by that Kaleidophon thing <laughs> that he did. <laughs> the what? I think it's called the Kaleidophon, isn't that, it? That's, Is that his yeah, Kaleidophon? Yeah. It's interesting. Um, there was a, a, a brilliant um, Sound on Sound article from February 2 and it's, uh, there's a paragraph in it. I'll just quote a bit from there. Uh, uh, although David had extensive classical training, his main instrument was the double bass. Um, which is not renowned as a control source for synthesizers. Um, he he never really liked to playing it as a kid, and, and he still can't play the keyboard. He says he uses an input device. He says it's like an eighty-eight note calculator, <laughs> <laughs> working out chords in step time. So he made this because he's a double bass player, which is pretty cool because it looks like a double okay, bass. Yeah. You sort of play it like a double bass, don't you? It's sort of uh, yeah. It looks has it got four four kind of strings, but four they, strings, but, but they're sort of like ribbons, aren't they? Or, yeah, um, it looked. I mean, he made it look very easy. And it ha- I mean, it's it, actually, it looks very much like uh, an Eigenhalf. Like Eigenhalf, yes, I thought. Definitely. I like the simplicity of it. And it was funny because I posted it on my Facebook and Howard Scar came along and said that he went to that studio back in, I think it was like the early 70s or mid-70s, and saw it and he said it was really kind of 
um, fragile, put it that way, which it does kind of look. It almost looks like some <laughs> videotape, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, yeah. Mark, you, you, um, you expressed a, a great um, excitement at seeing this video. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought he was a real character. I liked it when he said square waves in both senses of the word. Which I <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And I loved it that he said that he could make an infinite number of sounds with his, uh, with his synthesizers, but that most of them were plain, boring and electronic which I thought was also rather fantastic. He's a, he's a proper yeah, eccentric so. gentleman electronic musician. Don't get many of those these days, do you? Mm. Well, he was, well, he had that, what is it, the sort of the BBC voice that everyone had to do back then, I suppose. Um, I, just, I just found it really interesting. I just found, I mean, we have all these electronic software kind of implementations of analog sequences and stuff, and just the way that he was switching the patterns on and off and the way that it changed, I mean, he started switching the first few steps of the pattern off and made the pattern shorter and shorter and shorter till just the end of the pattern was playing. And was, the music was sort of evolving as he switched different things on and off. And in a sense, there's sort of that's what's missing from some of these digital things because they all have 16 steps and they all, you know, you can, you can add and take thing uh, take things away by using the mouse or whatever but i mean you can't kind of do that switching things on and off and making it jump steps and he just flicked a switch and the whole thing played backwards and i don't know he really knew what he was doing with it didn't he he really did well, I, mean, that's... I mean because he'd invented it i guess he <laughs> yeah. the uh he I know that feeling. Knew exactly how it worked. <laughs> yeah, and nobody else does. Look, it's really simple. All you have to do is find this little discreet unlabeled switch and everything changes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you were saying that you've actually um, met David. Yeah, that was back in, uh, ooh, 2003, 2004. I was playing a gig with uh, Thighball Sandra and we were playing in, uh, actually we had, uh, we were doing one of these um, gigs with, um, Damo Suzuki from Cannes, where he, he travels the world sort of just sort of uh, doing improvised gigs with sort of different bands. And uh, we were playing with him in uh, the Spitz Club, uh, sadly closed now in uh, East End of London. And the support act was White Noise, which I was really excited oh. about because uh, I love the An Electric Storm, the first album of The yeah. White Noise. Brilliant, brilliant record. Um, and when it came to the gig, he was using a laptop and it was a bit like naff dance music it was really disappointing <laughs> did you think he was going to show up with a truck full oh, of discreet yeah, electronics of course you know at least a vcs3 or something but it was yeah it was just a, a little mac laptop i think it was a mac laptop and then and uh and seemed to sort of oh i think he had an, a couple of people playing with him but it was uh hmm Definitely it's funny though. I mean, because I imagine a lot of a lot of these guys who you've had to live through, you know, using all of this kind of uh, temperamental electronic equipment. Who's that? Is that us? Somebody's got a mobile phone. Going. One's off. One's off. No, not me. Uh, maybe it's my. Yeah. It's you, Mark. Put a CD I on it. Realize it was on. Actually, sorry. It doesn't make any difference. Well, it might make a difference. It doesn't make, seem to make any difference. Has that stopped okay. now? Yeah, thanks. Sorry I, about I, that. I, I, mean, I think what I was trying to get at is, you know, these guys who've actually had to live with this sort of temperamental old gear just think, wow, I don't they, have to live with it anymore. Whereas absolute, people like us who come to it and go, yeah, oh, it's classic yeah, yeah. and beautiful, kind of haven't got a history of... It's the same. I've talked to it. sort of producers, you know, who've been sort of working on, you know, who've come up through sort of like the whole tape sort of era and... Uh, and they would never go back. You know, we kind of have a quite a glamorous or romantic attachment to the whole thing of working with uh, reel to reel and you know the whole analog thing. And uh, but people who've spent years in that are just going. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad and not going back. You know, <laughs> and it, it's quite funny because you know I think uh, you know we do tend to sort of see the you know it's evocative, isn't it? Seeing a reel to reel, seeing a big desk and all this kind of thing. And uh, but the actual thing is if you're spending you know days upon days in a studio all that kind of there's a lot of drag yeah. involved i suppose waiting around that 30 percent of your time well. wait 30 yeah. percent of your time waiting around for the tape to rewind yeah yeah absolutely it's all that things like that film diva where where they kind of turn up in that warehouse and he's got that amazing warehouse apartment and the opera woman is playing on a reel to reel which is on a kind of a 
plinth, a marble plinth, and you see the reels going around, and she's singing and everything. I mean, reel to reel has that kind of it, yeah. whole artistic imagery linked it to it, doesn't it? It does. Mm. It's, it, but I, I suppose this this whole thing is like a kind of it is a blast from the past. And these guys, while they were pioneers. The only reason they're presumably pioneers is because they had stuff that didn't work properly, and now they can just kind of, you yeah. know, do it all on their phones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which uh, they probably much rather when it came down to it, you know, because like, uh, they probably realised that it's not about the gear; it's about the ideas, or at least that's the. Uh, but sadly, perhaps the 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 ability to innovate using uh, gear that nobody else has got. Uh, mm as opposed to the ability to come up with great ideas, is a sort of diminishing returns sort of scenario for many people. My, my feeling yeah. about the whole thing with the old analogue-digital debate, you know, I mean, I absolutely... My favourite music is 70s music, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think it's really, for me, it's not about the sound. Well, I mean, it is about the sound, but it's more to do with... It's more to do with people just having to learn how to play properly and just not being able to rely on the easy editing. And I think that... But that's why there were so many good records made because because the performances are really good. Yeah, no, that, performances. I, I mean, performances. Yeah, <laughs> what's that? I want to go I back mean, and fix I'll, it. On this uh, on this entire program, there was there's a fantastic bit of Malcolm Clark uh, going through the sequencer on the Synthy 100 Delaware. Oh wow! And it's just it's brilliant. Be, just purely because it's so laborious <laughs> and so tedious, you could probably eat up days just trying to do a thirty, you know, thirty-two note pattern. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I'm just going to go and I'm going to erase that note, and then we have to go through the entire thing again. Okay, I've pinpointed the note now, so now I'm going to delete it and press this huge red button. Brilliant, <laughs> love it. As I was listening to Tomita, uh, Tomita's kind of Debussy, what's it, Snowflakes Are Dancing, I think. Uh, it's a collection of Debussy songs. Uh, I'm not sure when it was recorded, um, but it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you know that record. Or... No, I, we did talk about Tomito a long time back, um, but oh. I haven't, I'm not familiar with his works. It's sort of, he's one of those kind of big, pompy sort of electronic artists. Yeah, I guess in, in certain ways. I think what's amazing with the Debussy one, because obviously Debussy's music is just so wonderful and beautiful, um, you know, his, his interpretations of them are absolutely superb. I, th- I highly recommend them. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Claire de Lune is... Yeah, I love that piece. Lovely piece of music. His version of it is just amazing because it's like, they sound like synthesizers. It's not like, this doesn't sound like orchestral. It's, he's really using the synths for the sound and the musicality, mm. which, I, which I love. Well, um, just for those of you interested, that recording was done in, uh, well, it says 1979, but it looks earlier than that. But he was in the White Noise Band, which was an, another Island Records uh, signing. Mm. Uh, the Electric Storm is a bit of a classic. I know um, Adrian Utley's always talking about it from Portishead. And that had David, they had great credits. David Vorhouse was production coordinator. Delia Derbyshire mm. and Brian Hodgson were electronic sound realisation. <laughs> And um, Annie, oh, Annie Bird and Val Short vocals and percussion. But uh, yeah, it's a. There's. I'll put some links in the show notes because there's some very interesting um, stuff there, uh, particularly to the the sound on sound article with with David Vorhouse, and at the end of which he says, "I'm loving plugins and oh, computers and stuff." <laughs> yeah, because it's probably around then. I think it was a 2003 the gig, so that would it was a 2002 the sound on sound article. I think it was yeah. Fe- February 2002. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um. Right. Um, well, let's move on to just the, this is a, a real quickie because uh, Makezine, which is a great um, uh, there's a, there's a great sort of blog that's all about you know making your own stuff. And there's uh, some tin can contact mics, <laughs> and it wasn't really much. You know, it's just the idea that you put the mic inside the tin and there's a jack plug, and it's kind of a nice idea. But I know that there's always there's there's usually at least I'm 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 the same. There's usually one piece of really cheap tatty gear that tends to get used in a recording uh, that yeah. just has a specific sound. And I wonder whether anybody had any of those. I mean, you're nodding, Gaz, so I'm yeah. guessing um, you might have something to say on the subject. <laughs> well, whenever I'm recording drums, I like to put up a, a what I always call a grot mic, you know, which is the worst mic that I've got. And more you know more often than not, when I'm actually getting the drum mix up, I'll feed a bit of the grot mic in, and it just for that, you know special element there you know and it got really nice mics on the whole kit but you know the grot mic just brings something to the it's party it's a single room mic and well, you compress the hell out of it compress the hell out of it treat it, it badly sure. <laughs> yeah and it's funny because then when you take it out you just think 
oh, put it back in. It's, sort of, it's really bizarre. So I really recommend playing with rubbish mics, you know, in conjunction with good mics. I was used to mic up. I, had a, I used to have a... Um, um, Oh, what was it? It was a, a Sony ECM nine seven nine, which was a sort of mid-price stereo yeah, yeah. mic, which used yeah. to be able to make it go wider than wide and so <laughs> sort of wrap around your head and be all phased wrong. And just putting that over a drum kit used to be a really good way of doing things. I, I guess Mark, because you used to do a lot of sound mangling. I mean, do you, did you have any uh, that sort of just dirt cheap kit that just added a certain sparkle to any recordings that you were involved in? Um, yes, and all sorts of weird microphones that i bought from boot sales some of which i still have actually i've got this fantastic sony passive microphone mixer with three massive knobs on it mono actually and i had uh, them sony crystal microphones which sounded truly awful for anything but if (laughs) you mix them in with other things then they they were actually quite good i mean they had sort of like you know that you know what they make toy cars out of matchbox toy cars i don't know what the american equivalent like of that die cars, like very cases. cheap metal yeah. <laughs> they were like they were made of that yeah and and then they sort of had these kind of i don't know what looked like a piece of white plastic inside with a bubble of kind of clear cling film over the end and you could see the coil inside and they did they were just horrible horrible sounding things but again mixed them in with other mics and they sounded really or could bring a really good element to the sound um putting microphones inside containers of any kind as well, like water bottles or um, those big water bottles that you get on water coolers, dangling a mic inside there and things like that. All good. All good we, call it, we, call, we call them stunt mics, you know, mics we just don't care about really. And sort of... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of that. <laughs> uh, my, my friend, one of his favourite sort of um, stunt mics, is he's got an old um, taxi sort of uh, mic you know from like the kind of office where they sort of oh, right, contact yeah, yeah, the yeah. taxis with and it's like a really weird sort of strange tabletop mic with a with a switch on and um oh, he plugged, yeah it's great but he plugs it through an old vortexian sort of uh, oh a vortexian was the um they're big knob mixers yeah, aren't yeah, they yeah yeah, yeah, yeah with a know. big level meter yeah it's great it's really crude but it, and it's a really interesting sound it just seems you know it's well the vortexian sounds wonderful because i know uh, I, when i did some work with uh um, Adrian Utley again. Oh, he's got, one, part, he's he? got a Vortex yeah. made by Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah, that's or right. Wembley or Wimbledon, Wem- I forget yeah. which. <laughs> and they've just got those fantastically massive, yeah, yeah, yeah. great big knobs on them that just look superb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was in a studio with Ken Scott once and he was recording <sighs> drums. And oh. he put U, he put a U87 on every single drum. Oh, that's why this sounds so good. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and then um, I can't remember if it was Steve Alexander or if it was roger taylor who was playing the drums but he hit one and broke it oh no <laughs> and i thought that was expensive oh yikes i guess that... that's why most people don't do that one of my favorite drum sounds is the ken scott drum sound it's absolutely fantastic i didn't know he's using u87s so that's all oh, it's U87. <laughs> well i guess if that's what he always do. i mean he he did seem to be working very much to uh fixed ideas or formulas in his mind so it, I mean, having seen him put U87s on everything, on a whole kit, then I guess that's probably his formula. I interviewed Ken Stott, uh, Scott at um, NAM this year. Oh, um, wow. um, we were Did talking, you? yeah, um, it was to do, because they've done a Sonic Reality Ocean Way, some sort of drums thing, where they've, they've recreated the drum kits of uh, some classic recordings that he did. And used it as, um, you know, and a, a build some um, sample libraries out of. And he was a really oh, interesting right. guy. And one of the things that we talked about, which is quite interesting, is he was working with all these drummers from 30 years ago who were used to working with tape. And these guys are 30 years older, mm. and he had them working to Pro Tools, which meant no time to wait to, to, to wait around, recover your breath. Right, and again, and again, and again, and right, again. Right. No rewind time to so recover or anything. <laughs> Poor guys. Wow. Just were, he sort of thrashed them to death, basically. You know, got the money's worth. I'd recommend that uh, <laughs> if anyone wants to know a good place to listen to a Ken Scott song, a Ken Scott production, I'd say... Uh, um, Crime of the Century, Supertramp, is a really good place to start. It's a fantastic sounding record, I think. I couldn't believe what he had. And, you know, he was playing his showreel or putting his showreel together one day when I was in the studio with him. And I just can't believe, like, the list. Oh, it's incredible. Massive stars and huge records. And most of my favourite records he's responsible for. All yeah, the brilliant. Bowie David Bowie. Oh, amazing. 
Ken Scott Tom sound is just amazing. So I wonder, knowing now that the U87s, that's kind of slightly disappointing, knowing that it is just the expensive option. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's the expensive option. Isn't it more the isn't it more the fact that U87 is going to pick up most of what's going on around it? So it's a less direct mic option and a more of an open sound option. But with those mic with whichever's the closer microphone adding a little bit of um adding a little bit of separation right as opposed to putting one u87 on the whole kit which gives you a similar kind of thing i mean it's like doing it's like putting one u87 on a whole kit except you've got a little bit more control over the separation so it's the open sound as opposed to the close mic sound surely mm, yeah i i'm i'm, I'm not really I wish I could talk about drum miking, but it's not something that I know much about apart from a live situation. You certainly wouldn't use U87s <laughs> no. On, no. on a kit. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's it's just endlessly fun. I think when you're when you when you're recording bands, I think rec- getting a great drum sound is always the sort of uh, you know the, 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 it's fun. I love it. I really love it. I think it's uh, it's really enjoyable and it's always different. And I don't think I've ever quite got the sound <laughs> that I've, in my head. So. I've kind of got something that I'm chasing as well. But. So now that you're doing it, presumably with, um, I mean, digital audio setups, Pro Tools, whatever it is you use to record, yeah. do you find that you can carry that drum sound with you or at least sort of a, a working sort of beginning model that you can plug the mics into in the room? Obviously, you work with a different room and everything. That, yeah. So you can take it with you where you're, wherever you're going. Uh, to a degree, but I tend to like to sort of, I, I tend to sort of try not to sort of work to a particular pattern. Like, you um, like you're mentioning, uh, Ken Scott's got his kind of way about doing about things. Um, I tend to sort of, I mean, I always, I like the jazz way of recording a kit, with, which is just overheads and a bass drum. I tend to have a close mic on everything. And but, never use any of it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you might <laughs> you use it. only use it to replace the drums. <laughs> <laughs> I might like use it for fills, you know, but I like, I think if you put a lot of time into getting the overheads right, I always measure from the snare to each of the overhead mics, so the distance, uh, so the distance from the snare, the centre of the snare to both the overheads is the same. So that's just to make sure that you get a really nice solid snare. Oh, that's interesting. Do you have a special kind of audio engineer precision measuring kind just, of device for I just that? Just use a jack lead. <laughs> oh, I thought there was yeah, some sort no. of laser thing, you know, like estate agents use. <laughs> that's a good idea. Um, that would be accurate. But, or at least a state a agent idea, accurate. Yeah. It might overestimate, actually, yeah. if you think about it. <laughs> of course, if you knew how, how far your snare was away from the, uh, the rear wall in terms of feet, you could, measure all the, um, you could measure all the audio delays of the room with one of those laser things. Oh, I see. Gaz <laughs> is definitely getting a little bit. I can see a sparkle in his eyes there. There's, there could, you, we could have started something. Yeah. Um, I should probably um, take this opportunity to... Um, to, to do an ad because uh, I've got a little overlay that I can use for it but uh, we want to say thank you very much to uh, Yamaha UK for the continual sponsorship of the show um, they've basically been uh, they put a little bit of a pause on the podcast but what they want you to know about is the Yamaha CP pianos these things are basically um, the top of the range and they use spectral component modelling they've got a CP1 CP5 and a CP50 stage pianos you can go in store and check one out as, they, as I, I say and they keep saying week in week out really you know all the videos and sound clips on, on the internet in the world cannot deliver you the same experience of actually going in and playing one so we totally recommend that you go into one of your local dealers and try out one of the Yamaha CPs if a piano is important in your life and you're using one live you should really go and check them out and also while you're at it um, check out their eShot newsletter uh, the Yamaha Roundup easily lands in your inbox covering uh, uh, tour dates hints and tips and all the sort of news and latest features that they've got on yamahadownload.com um, best way to get to that is by visiting sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha and then you'll get uh, a little bit of uh, sort of love through us, and they'll know where we've come, where where you've come from, yeah. and it'll just all make everything join together. So once again, we thank very much uh, Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show, and uh, we really do appreciate their, their support. So uh, YamahaDownload.com or SonicState.com forward slash Yamaha. Check out the CP pianos in a store near you, and check out the newsletter and the site for all the latest tips and tricks. Thanks very much. I would say one thing about Yamaha. I love Yamaha upright pianos for recording. Well, and also like the baby grants as well from, you know, actually recording them uh, for real because they're so bright. 
they just record really, really well. Or rather, if you're doing it with kind of rock instruments, Yamaha pianos just have this fantastic cutting sort of quality that's uh, really, really good. They do the um, the C1 and C2 and C, you know, those really big, like, you know, multi-thousand dollar concert pianos. The, what were they ones? The ones that always look like the cartoon ones. Yeah, getting, really Tom long. and Jerry, that go long and long, <laughs> like, like, those, like the, uh, the cars that yeah. go on forever with massively long boots. But, but their uprights are fantastic, you know, are really, you know recommend those for uh you know if you are looking in the market for a upright piano for recording they're just great ah okay well thanks very much for the tip <laughs> um okay well let's see what's our next what's next on the list have we got something ah oh, ppg wave on ebay right i've got a clip for that i'm gonna go and uh, pop that in now Some aggressive. God, that's funny, even though that's a crappy YouTube recording of a youtube clip a playback again you can really tell that there's something there that is of course the ppg wave 2.3 um this uh tim fairless contacted me via email uh, and his uh, i'll give him a plug it's uglyworldstudios.com and he noticed uh, i think he must be based in australia because uh, apparently they've uh, reactivated the synthesizers category which was previously lumped into the key key light no name stuff in keyboards on ebay australia and there seems to be a lot more of these kind of uh, vintage stuff coming out and the the ppg wave is was well, last time i looked it was over five thousand bucks which um gaz you checked out and you you thought that was uh what was it it was it's about, about th- th- just three thousand pounds three thousand quid and tim's point was well, that seems like an enormous amount of money. But actually, thinking about it, I, I wasn't so sure because, you know, a boutique, quality boutique synthesizer is going to cost you about two grand, £2,000, $2,000. probably not many of them in the world either, is there? I, sh- I would imagine not. Uh, Dave, do you, were you a PPG Wave fan? Have you, have you ever had your hands on one? Uh, no and yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't a fan. For me, they typified everything that I hated about 80s keyboards. Uh, they, <laughs> although they did have some interesting things. I did think that the uh, 5,000 US, uh, sorry, Australian dollars, was it $5,195? Buy it now. It's probably about $5,000 too much. Um, no, but less facetiously, they were quite interesting. I mean, I played a 2.3, and I think there were only about 700 of those but ever made. Mm. So the two threes probably worth getting. I think the two two they were less made, probably about four five hundred. They all went to Go West and um, what was the other? What was the other about propaganda? All oh, right, oh, yeah. And I interviewed some guy, Rupert Greenall, who was in the Fix years ago, and that oh, was yeah. his kind of keyboard of choice. And in fact, uh, Rick Smith from Underworld had one when they were fur. Um, and I just didn't like that. I didn't like that kind of harsh, brittle tone. Although there were a couple of really interesting things that you could do on the two, three. I think there were two modes. And one was a kind of sample mode. And then I forget what the other mode was. But you could kind of take waveforms out and then put them into the sample mode and then kind of play them all the way through. Ah, Red Walks has said Thomas Dolby was PPG. Probably uh, the best user of PPG, in my uh, opinion. Yeah, ah, okay. Yeah, well, that, that, there you go. There's a, there's, there's a, a, a worthy proponent of the, uh, of the art form. It's interesting, because um, uh, Waldorf have just, uh, or at least it's going to be soon, the, P, the, the PPG version, what is it? I saw it at Mesa, and that sounded quite nice. Um, they spent a lot of time getting it sounding really grotty as the original 8-bit <laughs> <laughs> waves. Well, right, Gaz, I know you've been kind of around music technology for a while. PPG wave? Uh, well, I've... Played one. Um, Fipal Sandra, who's a really good friend of mine, uh, he he of uh, spiritualised uh, fame, has got an absolutely terrific collection of vintage synths. He's got what, mm. pretty much everything, really. I've uh, seen videos that Tara shot of his. Oh stuff, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he gets great. He knows how to get the sounds out of them, and like he'll you know he'll demonstrate things, and you just be mouth watering after them. Just fantastic sounds, and uh, and I. I, I, I understand what Dave's saying with the kind of harshness, but in a way, that is the appeal of it. It really is very in-your-face and very kind of edgy. And uh, I think in the right context, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. as a complimentary keyboard, I think it would probably work quite well. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, um, 
But you Mark, wouldn't want it as your main rig. <laughs> Mark, have you uh, have you got any love for the PPG Wave? Do you think it's worth five grand? Um, I think I came across the PPG Wave around the same time as budget sampling sort of appeared on ah, the market. No contest. And I remember, you know, I remember <laughs> going around to see my mate Pat the Cat, and he'd got one, and he sort of got hold of that big mainframe kind of thing that plugged into the back of it. And he said, you've got to hear this sound. It's really amazing. I've sampled this saxophone and put this saxophone in there. And he played it. And I just looked at him like, what? <laughs> I mean, it was just like one kind of tiny little piece of waveform of a saxophone. <laughs> it didn't really sound like a saxophone to me at the time. And I was just so unimpressed. And then he sort of did these various different things. And all I sort of remember about them really was that they made this massive kind of huge fat sound yeah and you kind of went wow that sounds great and then as soon as you put them in a mix with anything they disappeared completely and you'd find like turn it up turn it up turn it up turn it up and it never really that fatness or that amazing kind of fat sound that it seemed to make on its own when no other instruments were were there just simply disappeared as soon as you put it in a mix quite the opposite to the jx8 uh, the Jupiter 8, yeah, actually, which Jupiter 8 seems you sort of play that and you sort of think, yeah, it sounds all right, and you stick it in a mix with everything else and you can't get rid of the damn thing. It's all, <laughs> I think we need to have a kind of um, synthesizer so, fight club. Yeah, well, <laughs> something Jupiter versus something else. You know? yeah. beat this, this thing. And then that plugin that somebody brought out, the VST plugin, I played yeah. around with that and quite liked that for a while, but obviously that wasn't one of these, was it? And it wasn't five grand. <laughs> No, That's but five thousand Australian dollars isn't the, the same as five thousand American dollars, is it? No, but it's about nearly three thousand pounds. Mm. Still, it? a considerable sum, I would well, say. Yeah, by the time you've had it shipped there, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and had to fix it after it broke. In, I suppose. Yeah. What can, do we know what condition it's in? Is it no, good? No, I, I don't. I don't know, to be honest. Um, I mean, you know. It's, uh, I mean, this did bring up a wider question, which was, you know, where can this ultimately end up? The price of analog gear has fluctuated over the years. It now seems to be rocket, rocketing, even though essentially synths are kind of on the wane in terms of popular music. You know, not, there is a lot of electronic music around, but guitars are in the ascendancy. Mm. It's kind of an interesting sort of... Um, there's, a, there's a graph in there somewhere that somebody should plot. <laughs> Yeah. I think what's, what's happened with guitars, though, has gone through the roof, hasn't it, recently? Sort of vintage guitars, you know, they really have become a form of currency. Like, you know, like art collectors are really, you know, the way guitar collectors are kind of uh, collecting um, vintage instruments. And uh, a, a friend of mine recently bought a 1964 Gibson SG uh, in oh. white. Um, mm. Lovely guitar. And he had it, he bought it in America, and uh, he's had it shipped over but he still can't verify if it is actually legitimate or not and he's taking it to a chap in yorkshire who's going to who's apparently the expert at such matters but apparently the, the relicking now is so so good that you know it's almost impossible to tell if it's a, a real thing or not but because it's such big money involved you know it's almost you like these to. you know like forgers in the past making kind of uh, forgeries of um of artworks are doing it with um with guitars with guitars there always used to be a big thing, the stories of the, the art forger, isn't there? Yeah. You've got these kind of, uh, these bent Lutherers. Yeah. <laughs> <Just kind of. laughs> uh, but I have to say, I did get a little bit annoyed once. Uh, I went into a music shop in Bath called Vintage and Rare Guitars. And, oh, yeah, uh, I know that one. Yeah, it's, it's a very nice shop to go into. But um, I asked about a certain guitar I was looking for, and they were going, oh, no, we wouldn't stock one of them here. And I was asking about a G&L guitar, which G&L bass guitar, which I think is brilliant. You know, they're really good... Uh, but he thought, oh, no, we wouldn't stock one of them here. And he was really, like, kind of snooty about it. And I was thinking, well, why not? They're fantastic. Leo Fender's last guitars that he made, you know. And uh, anyway, but then they started talking about these other things. And they were talking, like, some things that had made new. And they were going, oh, but the relicking on them is superb. Oh, right. And I just, it, it really made oh, my skin dear. crawl. Yeah, I thought it was terrible. I, I walked out, never to I go, walked, never to return. Did you swim, did you, turn, did you slam the door and oh, say something, say something uh, succinct? I, and, I might have said something a little bit rude when I left, yeah. Well, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I went, is it Tin Pan Alley in London, Denmark yeah. Street? They've got yeah, vintage yeah. and rare there as well, I think. Yeah, they are. Well, yeah. I went wandering down there the other day and they had this Hofner in the window. Mm. Like, so, oh, yeah, Hofner. No, maybe it's a Hona. 
a sort of a semi-acoustic thing from the 1960s that looked just absolutely rubbish, like something I would have thrown in the skip like 30 years ago, you know. And we had we had all these weird guitars that our friends' dads had had, like things yeah. like Futurama. Have you heard yeah, of yeah. the Futurama? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we just kind of ruined them and threw them away. And this thing was like 800 quid, and I was thinking, yeah. it's, just, it's not worth that, is it? Well, I don't know. Uh, John Van Eaton in the chat room makes a good point. Is you know wondering about guitar prices now, particularly because there was so much. Because Nashville, as we know, had those terrible floods uh, a few weeks back, and there was lots of rehearsal rooms where people were storing oh, no. a lot of this vintage stuff. So a lot of these things would have been kind of well, trashed or, or soaked, and uh, and so that that's going to kind of shave a whole strata of <laughs> of, of availability okay, of the yeah. whole thing. I mean, it's awful. Mm. And we did talk about that at the time. You know, there's going to be. <laughs> oh no, that's awful. It is awful, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I had just had a vision of Les Paul's probably sink while some of those beautiful Gibson acoustic guitars would have floated. <laughs> so I wondered which ones had come off better. But yeah. Oh, that yeah, that's a good point. Well, I suppose if they're in a flight case, it's sort of neither here nor there. Well, there you go. Know. Buy a decent flight case and you'd be all right. You can, if you buy a really good flight case with a tight seal around it. Yeah, a Pelican fun. flight case. <laughs> yeah. Actually, speaking of Pelican cases, uh, Maplin, which is a local U- UK retailer, have got these little Pelican suitcases, which are about the size of a, of a laptop um, size, maybe 17, and they've just reduced them from 30 quid down to 20, uh, 40 quid down to 30 quid. Oh. And uh, they're, they're, they're Pelican makes, you know, and then the Pelicans are about 200 quid for the same sort of thing. Wow. Uh, I don't know whether they're any good. I mean, I did try to buy one, but they'd sold out, unfortunately. But maybe in a store near you. That's just a little tip. There is one near me in Stevenage, actually, which I could go to. Well, if you need, if you need one. Oh, I remember well, I don't, but it sounds like something I ought to buy. <laughs> yeah, you did. It's just it's luggage, Mark. It's luggage. Luggage. Yeah, You've got to have luggage. that sort of stuff. <laughs> any touring person has to have luggage, right? <laughs> Absolutely right. Well, um, let's move on to. Um, I'm just wondering what we should do next. Maybe the. Um, Ooh, this was via Create Digital Music, and this is uh, there was a video of Richie Horton who was uh, using this thing called Grid, which is G R I I D from um, I think they're called Line, which is and it's a, a, a prototype um, iPad application, and it's basically he was at a sound check in um, Detroit for a Plastic Man gig. And he's got this ridiculous, I don't know if you saw this, ridiculously insane um, setup. And he's controlling live, uh, which I think Grid Pro for iPad, it, it, it's, uh, it, it controls uh, Ableton Live. And it's a modular control system. You know, as we're seeing, a lot of these things are coming into place. But, what, I mean, aside from the iPad part, I just thought, what an insanely complicated setup he had. He had yeah. I, I think he had, he had a Lima. Uh, which is touchscreen. Uh, I'm glad to see the Behringer BCF2000 in there as well. That was he was slumming it there with an, yeah. an iPad, or a couple of iPads, in fact, controlling these things. Uh, a full—I don't know what the desk was, but it looked fairly well equipped. A, a couple of laptops, you know, an enormous amount of kit. And I'm guessing it was—he's a DJ, right, Richie Horton? As far just, as I understand, he was just pretending with all I think that he stuff. He was. Yeah. He was actually checking his email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it—it it, it, um, what it threw up for me is. You know, we all kind of get used to a setup, right? And I just wonder how long it would take you to get that level of intuition. I know, like Dave Spears, you've got a kind of very specific, you've got a finite room. Oh, sounds like we might have scored another goal. Hooray. That must be 2-0. I think that's maybe full time now. Oh, brilliant. I think we've won. <laughs> um, anyway, but I, I was going to say, you know, you, you've obviously got a space that works really, really well for you. I mean, is it possible to overcomplicate these things? Because, I mean, I remember when I was doing a lot of remixing, you know, part of it, it people said, oh, you should go into this studio and mix. And said, I can't do that because nothing is going to be where I'm used to it. It's going to completely break my workflow and I'm going to be uncomfortable in that environment and not be able to work in the way that I want to. Yeah. I just wondered how important that was for everybody, particularly with laptops. And Dave, are you kind of happier work, happiest working in your particular setup or doesn't it matter to you? It doesn't really matter. I mean, my setup's never finished. I mean, it is as far <laughs> as what I can squeeze in here now. But, I mean, it's like, you know, something like, for example, when the RME went down, it was like, okay, so now I've got to unplug that, and then that means I haven't got access to those. And then and the whole thing just becomes, I'm looking forward to, like, one day where everything works perfectly. And, of course, with this, all this old analog gear, some of it does stops working randomly. So there must be, like, one day in my lifetime where everything's just going to work so sweet yeah. and I'm going to have all these little stations and everything's going to be fine. Um, but it's not that big an issue for me. I actually quite like 
going to work with other people and having to learn their system. And sometimes it's kind of weird in that sometimes you can bring a complete curveball to the equation and they'll go, ah, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, if I just move that there, that'll work. So, yeah, I like things like that. Mm. Seat of the pants stuff. I just find it detracts from the ability to be creative. And maybe I'm just being insecure. I don't know. What do you think, Gaz? When I go into different studios, and I do work in lots of different studios, and uh, I tend to always now have my laptop and my audio interface, which in my case is a, a Motu Traveller, which has been great, actually. I really like it. And I'll just... I'll just generally put a, uh, a stereo out into the sort of into the master sort of console, and uh, you know, and, and just do it all in the box. I, you know, I tend to find when you kind of uh, if you want to just run everything out through the kind of all the outboard and stuff it takes such a long time, and I'm not entirely convinced that the results are worth the extra effort, and also not being able to recall the mix then easily because quite often you'll do a mix. And you'll realise, oh, yeah, the snare just needs a little kick here and just the vocals maybe just need a little bit. You need to ride the vocals a little bit more. And and you can't once you've kind of printed a mix. But then, you know, it's kind of good as well if you print a mix and that's it and it's a lot of hassle to go back with. You just learn to live with it and generally that's okay. So well. do you get a discount on the uh, studio time when you just show with the laptop? Just, I'm, only, look, I'm only using two <laughs> yeah, channels and your monitors. I, know. I could use my headphones. I, I, they really want you to go through a lot of the outboard, I think, you know, because they've spent loads of money on it. Um, but I, I just don't know. I'm just not... I'm, I'm yet to be convinced, really, in the sort of... Are you a kind of accelerated hardware kind of guy as well, like, uh, you, you know, the UAD and all of that sort I've of stuff? Do you got, use any of that stuff? I've got a power core and I've got a liquid mix. Uh, but to be honest, I'm tending not to use either of them very much either, um, partly because uh, I've had a lot of trouble with the liquid mix, actually, just sort of various kind of firewire issues. My, I've just not got a... I just don't trust it somehow. It does sound good, but just mm. the kind of... I, I think FireWire is just a bit flaky generally, think, isn't it? I think it, it is. I think that's you need, what you the need to get is. straight. You need PCI, which yeah. you ain't got on the laptop, obviously. No, that's right. I agree with you. I think it's because uh, I, I, one thing I have seen the the liquid mix, the liquid mix technology, uh, the liquid channel stuff. You see that yeah. everywhere. You see it live as well. They yeah. generally have one of those the front of house yeah. rack so that they're just bunging it. The I'd lead like vocal one. through I would it. Like one. Well. I would like one of them. <laughs> but uh, what I was going to say, but I think you know the software is just. It's just fantastic. One of my favourite companies of, uh, of sort of software is uh, Isotope and uh, Ozone. Oh, yes. I've used for years now, and I absolutely think it's terrific. And they've recently brought out a thing called Alloy, which is yeah, I've just like a, I've just installed it on the yeah, video machine. Terrific, yeah. terrific piece of software. And um, you know, I think uh, you know, I, I don't know that that sort of outboard or you know, not the outboard, the powered stuff can kind of necessarily compete because it's a fantastic workflow involved in. The, the thing about Isotope, I think, you know, it's slightly complicated, but when you kind of get it, the workflow is just terrific. It's really good. Mm. I know, Mark, how about you? Are you kind of happy just to turn up with your laptop or do you like to have a very specific setup to get the most out of you as a, you know, your creative force, as it were? Um, just trying to think about that. I mean, I tend to work on whatever anyone throws at me now, I suppose. So I'm not overly upset about how things are set up i've got two different setups in my house i either sit upstairs with a laptop or i go downstairs and i've got a bigger computer down there the, i suppose the the things that i find are important is that the building or something has to be networked because i won't work on a mac and i won't work on a pc i work on both <laughs> and if i work on both i want to be able to drag files between the two platforms really really quickly so um there needs to be some kind of shared area of disk space. But apart from that, I mean... Actually, um, I can imagine that can be quite a pain in the ass to set up because not everybody's set up for that sort of thing, are they? Well, but some people just don't understand why anyone would want to do that. And then, <laughs> uh, if you, and if you want to move really big files around and the, and the network's slow and it takes, like, I don't know, 10 minutes to move a 20-megabyte file from one place to another place because you've had to email it or something or you have to... <laughs> spend ages working out how to get it from one place to another yeah. place then that slows me right down but if i can just drag a i mean i i'm i suppose i mean it becomes more and more easy really i mean with the mac being able to run parallels and being able to just drag stuff onto the pc desktop in the mac and then drag it back out again if i want and you know ideally i think i'd probably run three macs with 
one with uh, Logic, one with Pro Tools, and one with <laughs> all my PC stuff, and be able and have a shared space where I could drag sound files back and forth between different things, and a really good pair of speakers that I knew really well, and that would that would do me actually. And then and you know people can turn up with whatever else they like, synths or pedals or guitars or drums or whatever they like really it, and if i had that as a working environment that would be that's perfect. all you need yeah mm-hmm. okay interesting because i like the idea of being able to port between software you know easily and like the whole omf thing has just been a bit of a debacle really um in that you know getting it to work i don't know if anyone's had experience with omf but uh, i mean i've tried to take omf from logic to uh um, um, digital performer and then to Cubase and uh, it's a really really tricky business trying to get them to work they really kind of it's not like this open format there's all a whole host of just little quirks to it and I think uh. with Pro Tools you have to have a thing called Digi Translator to uh, oh, enable God. you to do it and they're you know they're really trying it's to get, it's getting better though isn't it I mean it mm. definitely is getting better um, Analog Boy in the chat room says Mark you should just take yourself a, a NAS a gigabit Ethernet disc and just a little switch so you could oh. have a pc and a mac in the same place and another box and you just take your own network with you effectively that'd be that's quite good a, a good idea that's a good idea yeah i like that idea <laughs> just uh, just take a network drive because those mm. those nas drives they're little they are like a computer aren't they they've got a processor and ram and stuff yeah yeah we you, i mean we use we well we used to use them right. we've got we got a, a a retired gig two two terabyte um lassie network drive in the other room which is it's monstrously loud <laughs> And um, and not very fast actually, right. but I mean these days there's the stuff but from a company called Drobo who I've been looking at because we you know we need to figure out ways to archive all of our stuff mm. and they've got some iSCSI things which can handle multiple video editing over uh, Ethernet you know mm. it's really kind of very very fast stuff and that's, but I mean they you know I mean, it sounds like a lot of money a couple of grand but the alternative which are the sand disks and the big they're like twenty thirty grand you know so there's a massive you know you start to pay these enormous amounts of money for this stuff. We're right on the the, the, the edge of a, of a new form of data storage, uh, which I remember reading about a couple of years ago, saying it was going to be here soon, which uses a completely different, uh, I think it uses some sort of quantum physics. I really don't understand it, but apparently you can fit the entire contents of the internet into a uh, into a USB stick or something. Onto my pocket watch. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know anything about it. I can just yeah. put it in the glove compartment of my flying car. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's uh, yeah, fan- fascinating. I think we ought to end on a sort of slightly football-related topic. I've got two to choose from here. Okay, we've got Vuvuzela filtering, yeah. and we've got yeah. the ana- or the anatomy of a live of a live sporting event. Uh, now, I don't mm. know if anybody knows anything about the anatomy of a live sporting event. Maybe we should save that for some time when we do, because the World Cup's going to be on for a month. Yeah. But Vuvu filtering, I think we should probably talk to Vuvuzela. Um, uh, for those, I've got a little sound clip which I feel I should play. <laughs> Um, for those of you who perhaps don't know what a Vuvuzela sounds like, here it is. There he goes. A swarm of angry bees, yeah. possibly. And if you've been listening to any kind of World Cup commentary, uh, you'll re- you'll notice that that sound plays prominently in it. And they're all sort of going on about how um, how um, intrusive it is, but I'm sure listening back to any kind of old World Cup um, archive footage, like Mexico, that noise was there as well, or something approaching it. Lots of people playing trumpet. Anyway, <laughs> never fear. Uh, this one came via Create Digital Music. Did a great um, a great article. It's called uh, "Suddenly Everybody Cares About Notch Filtering." And in fact, I was on the. Uh, I was listening to the. Uh, I think it was Radio 5, BBC Radio 5, which is a big national radio station. They had a bloke on um, in the morning from uh, ProSonic. They've got a filter called the Vuvu X, and they played a clip with before and after. And uh, sadly, it sounded very... I'm not sure they got the clips the right way around, but they had this chap sort of saying why it was important and stuff. And obviously, people are kind of thinking, well, how can we filter this stuff out? And it seems it would seem it'd be really, really easy, wouldn't it? Because it's, it it's a very sort of specific thing. Oh, what was that? That's an exciting noise. An alarm reminding me to breathe. Ah. <laughs> Mark, don't yeah. want you to don't want to lose you to a lack of breathing. Because I, I, I was driving to North Wales on Friday night when the England game was on. I was listening to it on medium wave, and in the car driving with me, listening to medium wave, 
the Vuvuzela Zella was awful. It really, you know, I really did want to sort of have a kind of a way to notch it out because uh, I think because of the sort of restricted bandwidth in the sort of medium wave. And anyway. you got an engine noise, so you turn the radio up. <laughs> exactly, a bit more. exactly. I just it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I'm I'm all up for kind of filtering it out. There's in fact a place called vuvuzelafiltering.com. Really? Um, where you can have uh, a look at the various resources available. Uh, there's the ProSonic Vuvu X, which I'm not sure what that costs. Wave WNS noise suppressor, which costs three grand, and uh, is hell. built in conjunction with a um, uh, a named broadcaster, apparently. And there's also um, a setup on Ableton Live, which presumably has a bunch of notch, notch, notch yeah. filtering going on. Is this for broadcasters, then? It's presumably not for the end user. Well, there are. Apparently, there's also there's, there's information on the internet how you can tune the EQ of your telly to, to, em- right. to de-emphasize the Vuvuzela frequency. <laughs> Do you know, so, I mean, this is really kind of topical because about four hours ago, somewhere around midday, I received an email from El Gato Systems, who make that ITV, which is a sort of a USB-based television system for the Mac, and they've released ITV version 3.4, special edition, for a limited time only. Today it was released, and it's called the Vuvuzela Filter version. (laughs) So it's designed specifically for end users, um, and it's... And it has this filter in it that can basically flick that sound in and out, theoretically. Well, I, to be honest, I don't mind it. I mean, I think it's just grasping PR uh, headline times, really. I mean, it's, it's all part of the whole sort of thing, I guess. Hey, isn't may, it? hey maybe El Gato set the whole thing up. To, you think as so? A, as a, <laughs> it's, I mean, this is a great way of advertising, isn't it? If it's sort of in the news and they've decided to release a new version of the software with that filter in it. Yeah, well, anything. I mean, the, the, what's quite interesting about it is also, um, apparently, the Vuvuzela, which is like, a, for those who are not, com- not sure, it's, it's like a kind of plastic post-hunting horn. Yeah. looks like a yard of ale, uh, but it's capable of 114 dB. So, I mean, in terms of live sound for, for covering, yeah. it's an absolute nightmare to try and... My, main, of- my main beef with it is it, it does actually drown the crowds out. And what's yeah, great about yeah, football yeah, yeah. is it's all a, hey, oh, and, you know, all a kind of sort of disappointment or cheers. And, and that's kind of muted a little bit by the sort of... The, the, yeah, the, that's the... It, 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 flat, it homogenises it. it. All you hear is it. the angry bees and the... Uh, unless there's a really mm. big kind of miss or something. But yeah, I agree. I, I think that, that mm. definitely... Maybe they should different. ban them. No, I don't think that's fair. I think mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's just part of, the, part of it. I just, I just, as long as they don't creep into every type of football because I think it would put mm. a lot of people off um, uh, Analog Boy said wants the synth in the background the synth in the background over there is a Juno 106 dead, dead. Uh, with a dead voice <laughs> in case you're interested and uh, the, you might be able to just see the yellow one in the background if I switch to the other camera you can't you might you know you probably can't quite see that and that is the Dave Smith Mofo keyboard which I've been reviewing this week mm. um or trying to finish reviewing it this week, <laughs> unsuccessfully generally. But um, um, Dave, are you you don't really watch football, I'm guessing. Is not the world the World Cup doesn't hasn't really grasped me this year. I must admit. No, I, I just wonder whatever happens to football rattles. <laughs> they were loud. <laughs> they were loud. Yeah, you? and also they, you get quite big ones. And if you were yeah. in the, if you were stood next to someone who had a particularly large rattle, you could get whacked around the head. I'd imagine <laughs> if you were. See, that is irritating. But I don't mind the sound of these Vuvuzelas. Oh. There's something quite comforting about them. They've got that frequency. Although somebody did say they're, they're brilliant when in the hands of a kind of fairly accomplished trumpeter. In fact, I saw a piece on BBC Newsnight where it had uh, British trumpeter, trumpeter Byron Whalen playing one and it actually sounded pretty good. But what everybody's saying the problem is is a load of drunken football supporters <laughs> blowing them. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, but the other thing is, you know, that, that it's, it's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? It's a mass-produced instrument. Everybody plays in groups of tens and thousands. I can't think of another instance where that happens. That's I mean, true. apart from, I think I've got an example written down in my notes, bongos in the 60s or 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 10,000 of them? Well, maybe not. No. <laughs> Kazoos? Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's well, kind of what it sounds like in a way, doesn't it? Howard Scar, I think, had the best idea is that there should be several sizes and they could form a chord. Oh, and I yeah. was thinking, yeah, if you had a kind of minor thirteenth for when England <laughs> punted out, or just when they go, yeah. kind of melancholic chords. 
melancholic chord. Well, we yeah. do, I, I think, I believe, I haven't heard, but it sounded, by the sound of the, the, the cheering coming through the open window, it sounds like we're through. It so. may have only been 1-0. Yep, I believe it is. I, but they were supposed to be quite good, Slovenia. Huh? Well, that's what they kept saying, just to make it so. Anyway, I think we're actually through. <laughs> so that's that now, as they say, this is when it really starts. Yeah. But I felt it was only fair to have at least one kind of World Cup-related um, topic. We may well have another one because I did create, pr- pr- um, start the topic of uh, the anatomy of a sound live. The anatomy, good grief! The anatomy of sound of a live sporting event. Because I mean, mm. you listen to that stuff, and there's just an enormous amount of sound sources and the way that they kind of work it all out. It's very interesting. It's a very specialised mix, I'd imagine. I, I would say. Um Highly recommend anyone going to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff and watching one of the international rugby matches there. The sound is amazing. The acoustics in there is superb. And just the way when everyone's singing. Well, there we are, singing. We've yeah. got thousands of people singing. All humming. The same note, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that is a terrific sound. I don't know what it is quite with the acoustics of the Millennium Stadium. I think partly you feel very... I don't know if any of the, any of the listeners have been there, but you're very kind of close to each other. You know, I think with Wembley or... It's much kind of wider. I've never really been to a big stadium. I mean, the only oh. the only stadium I can think of that I've been to was probably Cardiff Arms Park, where I saw right. Michael Jackson in like nineteen ninety <laughs> something. Oh yeah, and that sounded absolutely god awful. Was it? it was just an appalling <laughs> sound. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so obviously they fixed that. Uh, the Millennium Stadiums, the sound is brilliant. But but from a sport, you know, in a sporting event, you know, uh, you know, in rugby in Wales is a really big event, and so sort of- I like the way you said that. <laughs> Sound like you had hoil there, <laughs> which I think is a worse word, isn't hoil, it? Hoil, uh, f- uh, fun. Fun. Oh, well, that's, that's what I meant. Mm. I well, we'd say hoil vaur if we want to say goodbye, which, which translates directly to big fun, which I think is a great way to sort of, uh, sort of as a send-off to somebody. Excellent. Dave Robinson would like that. I think he probably would. Dave Robinson actually declined to come on the show today. Fair enough, uh, because he wanted to watch the football. <laughs> but I, w- I would like to say thank you very much to everybody who's actually kind of hung in with us. I think the internet now has opened up again now that the, uh, <laughs> now that the, the, the match has finished. And yeah. uh, so all the people are going back to work. Uh, and, and switching off their stream. So I think our video stream is now going up there. But um, I, I think really we're sort of closing to, we're, we're heading towards the close of uh, the show. And I want to say thank you very much to everybody in the chat room for joining us. Uh, Kiwi Steve, uh, Kiwi fan, who I know is Kiwi Steve. Thanks for staying in there. I, I'm glad you actually uh, managed to get at least some of the live stream. Of course, the stream and uh, the podcast will be available on iTunes from tomorrow, which is Thursday. So uh, once again, thank you very much to all the people in the chat room, sonicstate.com forward slash live which is 4 p.m on a wednesday generally also thank you very much to my guests I'll, I'll say thanks very much first of all to gaz williams for coming into the studio give us a wave gaz thank you very much um i really appreciate that we'll have to do this again love to it's fun you yeah. i think you've passed the guest test oh great <laughs> <laughs> and uh also uh thank you very much to dave spears from g4software.com thank you good fun and uh, if only you could watch the video stream as well while we're here, Dave, because uh, my, my, uh, my video switching, my gallery work has been superlative, I think. Ah, At least we'll find... You'll be able to watch it on the, uh, on the recorded stream, I hope. <laughs> but thank you very much. G4software.com, where no doubt there will be a new edition sometime this summer, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But thank you very much for joining us, and I'm glad we haven't... Uh, you are a massive football fan, and you, uh, you didn't miss the match, and you didn't care no, too didn't. much. <laughs> football so, in this house is like um it's like a vocoder ah uh, not allowed the missus when i sort of said you know should we get married then she said well do you like football i went no she went all right <laughs> that was it that was it that was the only Great. qualification <laughs> <laughs> well uh thank you very much dave uh g4software.com and now we'll say goodbye also to mr mark tinley give you a wave mark thank you very much mark for joining us as well uh, likebeing.com although it does say autismhero.com on your lower third there thanks very much for joining us mark yeah i just don't like autismhero.com because it's a bit like hey look at me i'm f- oh i nearly swore <laughs> wow you call <laughs> hey, look yourself at me how clever i am you know like and it's not it should be autismhero.com really there's a sort of e- there's a, there's a, there's too much ego potentially in there, but I'm going to assure you that's not the case. If you've ever heard Mark speak before, you'll know that that's not. So <laughs> you can go to likebeing.com. I'll amend your lower third for next week. Okay, thank you very much. And and uh, like Dave, actually, we don't have any football in this house either. I was I, I was talking to my five year old the other day, and he said, "Oh, Dad, I don't want to go to school today." And I was, "Why? What's wrong?" And he said, "Well, they're all going to play football." And I was like, "Well, what's wrong with that?" And he said well, they all play football and I don't like it. And I was like, okay, why don't you play football with them? I don't want to. 
He said, and I said, well, what do you do? And he said, I have to sit under a tree on my own. And I have to play with. And oh. I thought, yeah, I've been doing that for 47 years. So like father, like son. Yeah, I can't play football. In fact, I went to the park um, for a friend's birthday party um, just the other day. And I, ha- I had a bit of a knock around for like 10 minutes. And I've spent the whole week almost <laughs> in, in, in traction, pretty oh, much. No. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I, ha- I haven't got a television at home, so uh, but I've got a projector. Uh, so all the football matches I've been projecting sort of um, onto the onto the wall, quite big, probably about three meters in uh, diameter. And uh, but the thing is, I've been streaming it off like ITV, so it really, really pixelated. <laughs> so the so, football's yeah. square. <laughs> yeah. So like it's really, really, really low resolution football game. Try the iPlayer. I think the resolution's better. Oh, it's much better. I on. When it's on BBC, but the ITV one is just really poor. Oh, OK. Well, there's a plug there for ITV.com. I'm guessing they won't be a show sponsor, unlike... I'm going to flip to their Yamaha. We thank Yamaha also for their continued sponsorship of the show. And um, just like to say, give them a little name check at the end, too. That was great. Uh, that was Sonic Talk number 179. Thanks for hanging in there.